Today we will be talking to the lamp post about personal boundaries. Personal boundaries are the limits and rules we set for ourselves within relationships. A person with healthy boundaries can say no to others when they want to, but they are also comfortable opening themselves up to intimacy and close relationships. A person who always keeps others at a distance, whether emotionally, physically or otherwise, is said to have rigid boundaries. Alternatively, someone who tends to get too involved with others has porous boundaries. You are listening to Talking to the Lamppost, hosted by Melda Brain on Anchor FM. Let's have a look at common traits of rigid, porous and healthy boundaries. A person with rigid boundaries avoids intimacy and close relationships, is unlikely to ask for help, has few close relationships, are very protective of personal information, may seem detached even with romantic partners, keeps others at a distance to avoid the possibility of rejection. A person with porous boundaries will overshare personal information, have difficulty saying no to the requests of others, will be over-involved with other people's problems, and be very dependent on the opinions of others. This person will also accept abuse or disrespect and fear rejection if they do not comply with others. A person with healthy boundaries will value their own opinions and they won't compromise their values for others. They will share personal information in an appropriate way so they do not over or undershare. They will know their personal wants and needs and will be able to communicate them and will be accepting when others say no to them. Most people have a mix of different boundary types. For example, someone could have healthy boundaries at work, porous boundaries in romantic relationships, and a mix of all three types with their family. One size does not fit all. The appropriateness of boundaries depends heavily on setting. What's appropriate to say when you're out with friends might not be appropriate when you're at work. Some cultures have very different expectations when it comes to boundaries. For example, in some cultures it's considered widely inappropriate to express emotions publicly. In other cultures, emotional expression is encouraged. Now, we can break personal boundaries down in a few categories. The first one is physical boundaries. Now, this refers to the personal space and physical touch. Healthy physical boundaries include an awareness of what's appropriate and what's not in various settings and types of relationships. Do I hug, shake hands or kiss? Physical boundaries may be violated if someone touches you when you don't want them to or when they invade your personal space, for example, go rummaging through your bedroom. Intellectual boundaries refer to thoughts and ideas. Healthy intellectual boundaries include respect for others' ideas and an awareness of appropriate discussion. Should we talk about the weather or politics? Intellectual boundaries are violated when someone dismisses or belittles another person's thoughts or ideas. Emotional boundaries refer to a person's feelings. Healthy emotional boundaries include limitations on when to share and when not to share personal information. For example, gradually sharing personal information during the development of a relationship as opposed to revealing everything to everyone. 
Emotional boundaries are violated when someone criticizes, belittles, or invalidates another person's feelings. Sexual boundaries refer to the emotional, intellectual, and physical aspects of sexuality. Healthy sexual boundaries involve mutual understanding and respect of limitations and desires between sexual partners. Sexual boundaries can be violated with unwanted sexual touch, pressure to engage in sexual acts, luring or sexual comments. Material boundaries refer to money and possessions. Healthy material boundaries involve setting limits on what you will share and with whom. For example, it may be appropriate to lend a car to a family member, but probably not to someone you met this morning. Material boundaries are violated when someone steals or damages another person's possessions or when they pressure them to give or lend them their possessions. Time boundaries refer to how a person uses their time. To have healthy time boundaries, a person must set aside enough time for various facets of their lives, such as work, relationships and hobbies. Time boundaries are violated when another person demands too much of another person's time. What is a non-negotiable boundary? By definition, a non-negotiable boundary is a boundary that is not open to discussion or modification. Another way to think of non-negotiable boundaries are that they are something a person must have or something they can't tolerate in order to stay in the relationship. I think of them as relationship deal breakers. Non-negotiable relationship boundaries are different from non-negotiable personal boundaries. Where physical and or sexual boundaries are involved, a no means no. Non-negotiable relationship boundaries are less black and white, more complex and require a more thoughtful approach. As relationship deal breakers, non-negotiable boundaries must be carefully considered and chosen. In my work with protected partners, I often find that non-negotiable boundaries are confused with important needs. For example, it is completely understandable that a partner would have a need for any or all of the following from an unfaithful spouse. Regular attendance at 12-step meetings ongoing therapy, transparency around use of email accounts and phone records, disclosure polygraph and or follow-up polygraphs. However, for most partners, these aren't appropriate non-negotiable boundaries. Why? If a partner isn't prepared to leave the relationship if a spouse doesn't fulfill one of these needs, then it's not a non-negotiable boundary. When emotions are running high or partners are highly triggered, they are tempted to create a list of non-negotiable boundaries that looks something like this. Addict must go to five 12-step meetings per week. Addict must meet with sponsor once a week for three years. Addict must not have any contact with any former acting out partner. Addict must not have a recovery slip, meaning a violation of his bottom line or inner circle behaviors. Addict must take a polygraph every three months for four years. Addict must have a fault on all electronic devices for five years. While most of these items are beneficial for a spouse's recovery and the rehabilitation of the relationship, it is important for partners to ask themselves two crucial questions before putting them on their non-negotiable boundary list.
is each one of these boundaries individually a relationship deal breaker? Am I absolutely unwilling to discuss or negotiate these items with my spouse? For example, am I prepared to leave the relationship if my spouse misses a therapy session? or misses a meeting with his sponsor, or if he asks me after two years of past polygraphs to reduce the frequency of his exams? Of course, partners are disappointed when a spouse doesn't follow through, but they probably wouldn't leave him because of that. That's why it shouldn't be on a list of non-negotiable boundaries. Non-negotiable boundary lists like the one above create the following dynamics for partners, personally and in all their relationships with their unfaithful spouse. An unhealthy and toxic power imbalance is created by unilateral rules and regulations about issues that aren't ultimately relationship deal breakers. Conflict and power struggles between the betrayed partner and his spouse as he attempts to comply with a boundary list under the threat of losing the relationship. Repeated disappointments for the partner as a sex addict will inevitably break one of the non-negotiable boundaries. The partner becomes untrustworthy to herself and a partner as she struggles to respond to or follow through on consequences for boundary violations when non-negotiable boundaries aren't met. Even when it's appropriate or makes sense for the situation, the partner is unwilling to discuss with the addict how boundaries might be altered or renegotiated. After all, they're non-negotiable. For most partners, there are typically no more than two or three non-negotiable boundaries on their list. Boundaries, especially non-negotiable ones, are very individualized. No one should tell a partner what a boundaries, including non-negotiables, must be. However, here are some common non-negotiable boundaries. Causing harm to or any sexual activity with a minor child. Viewing child pornography. Sexual intercourse with another person. And repeated deception or lying. When identifying non-negotiable boundaries, I encourage partners to ask, what would absolutely, positively, without question, cause me to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I can no longer stay in the relationship? A partner's answers to these questions are her non-negotiable boundaries. When a partner knows her or his non-negotiables, they gain clarity and a sense of their limits. Once a partner has identified her non-negotiable boundaries, I encourage her to share them with a trusted friend, sponsor or therapist. Only after she has had a chance to review them with others should they then share them with their spouse. Sharing a non-negotiable boundaries with a spouse is not done as a threat, but as an exercise in sharing her reality. Expressing non-negotiable is also an expression of a partner's self-care and self-respect. I created a boundary document and my therapist helped me word it as boundaries, not controlling. Boundaries communicate what you will do in response to another's behavior that makes you feel unsafe physically or emotionally. And it is okay to reference how you feel. This is the formula that was taught to me. When you, 
you state the behavior. I feel, then you use words to describe your emotions when it does the behavior. If you, then continue the if behavior, I will what you will do to feel safe. For example, ask you to sleep on the couch, invite you to my therapist's office, go to XYZ's house, enact an in-house separation and not be in a relationship with you. Whatever makes you feel safe until he can change the behavior. Here's a few examples. Um, number one, when you message women on Facebook, I feel shattered, pushed aside, hurt, not good enough, and I don't feel safe being emotionally vulnerable with you. So if you continue to message women on Facebook, I will not be in a relationship with you. I won't sleep in the same bed, what you feel comfortable with, until I can feel safe being vulnerable with you again. Another example, when you watch porn, I feel invaded, hurt, scared, not good enough, not pretty, not sexy, and I just feel absolutely devastated. And I don't feel safe being emotionally or physically intimate with you. So if you continue to use porn, I will not be emotionally close to you. And I will not provide you with any relationship comforts, including physical intimacy. I will invite you to counseling with me for a relationship professional's advice on how to restore trust in our relationship. If you won't come to counseling, I will continue to go to counseling on my own to get clarity on whether I should stay in this relationship or not. This is a boundary, not an ultimatum. An ultimatum is set with anger and says bluntly, stop or I will leave you forever. That does not foster an environment for the addict to make a better choice. And then you need the courage to enforce it. And I encourage you to get with a qualified therapist and read that to the, him in their office where he can't play games with his response. We'll talk soon. You have been listening to Talking to the Lamppost by Melda Brain, hosted on Anchor FM.